It seems appropriate on this first podcast of 2022 to be speaking about pain. The world has been racked with the kind of upheaval we never could have imagined just three years ago. It has compounded the suffering that already existed before COVID, and it has amplified the calls from some circles to view God as the source and inflictor of all suffering. As I've walked alongside hurting children and teens raised in the world of ministry in the past couple of years, I've heard them express again and again their anguish about the messaging that proclaims that the Savior who is supposed to love and comfort them is also the instigator of the anxiety, fear, and losses that have become their new normal. It's for them, and for the rest of us who are struggling in our own ways, that I want to broach this difficult topic today. This is God Wasn't in the Storm, How Imprecise Language About Suffering Harms Faith. I was leaving a conference room after a lengthy presentation when a woman I'd never met, I'll call her Judy, came up to me and said, God chose you for this storm. He knew it would give you a richer story to tell. She was referring to something I'd alluded to only briefly in my seminar as a means to emphasize God's power to console. The recurrence of breast cancer that I'd battled in 2018, which ended in life and body altering surgery. Judy looked at me earnestly and kindly as she essentially stated that cancer was an affliction chosen by God, wrapped in divine motives, and addressed directly to me. I looked Judy in the face and lowered my voice as I leaned in, still grasping her hand. God didn't cause this storm, I said to her, but he was in it with me. I quelled the impulse to add more to my response. It wouldn't help It never did. For the woman now looking at me a bit uncomfortably, a trial on the scale of what I'd endured had to have been both intended and inflicted by God himself so I could bear a more convincing witness to his goodness. That's the problem with verbal placebos of imprecise theological origins. It's the problem with simple statements that roll off our tongues so easily in the Christian world when we're eager to say something, anything, and reach for platitudes. In an attempt to lend meaning to the unimaginable, we too often condense complex biblical concepts into sentence-long statements that can do more to misrepresent God than to express the mercy, compassion, and relational longing of His heart. More dangerously, they can intentionally or unintentionally convey the message that God is not only in the storm— but the originator of the storm, that all pain, not just some pain, is God-inflicted. God chose you for this disease to punish you. God picked you to walk your child to her death so you could learn to trust Him in the trauma. God selected your marriage to be destroyed by infidelity because your trust in Him would be an effective witness to others. Children hear the statements to which Bible-savvy adults might be able to apply context and nuance, but to their ears and to the ears of anyone whose faith is still in its infancy, the words stand stark 
and unmitigated. God chose you for this storm means exactly that when they hear it, especially when stated by people whose faith is more mature and long-lasting than theirs. God wanted me to suffer. He chose me for this cancer, this abuse, this addiction, this isolation, this unbearable reality. God wanted me to hurt this way. By using uncareful language in an attempt to bring spiritual clarity to contexts that are, at best, unfathomable to the human mind, we too often make of God the instigator of all storms, portraying Him, as Judy did, as a self-aggrandizing tyrant who uses our pain to punish, teach, or hijack our suffering for His greater glory. As someone who is acquainted with pain, having endured abuse, years of depression and anxiety, and life-threatening illness, I can assure you that I'd be hard-pressed to trust a God who was always the perpetrator of my torment. Yet the Bible is filled with instances in which death and destruction were not His handiwork. The children and young believers in our lives need to have these pointed out to them again and again by adults whose relationship with Jesus they trust. Though His justice and discipline are sometimes meted out in painful ways, our suffering more often originates elsewhere. The self-inflicted turmoil of flawed human beings like Adam and Eve, David and Judas— the collateral damage from someone else's sin endured by people like Tamar, Hosea, and Paul, the physical decay of illness and old age, the maleficent pain of the devil's targeted attacks, the cataclysmic havoc of a groaning planet on which tectonic plates shift and oceans surge. It may be our desperation to make sense of our pain that moves us to proclaim a divine actuating of the loss and trauma that maim and confound us. Perhaps it's also easier to pin the unexplainable on God rather than leave a question mark where we'd rather find certainty. Yet naming God as our assailant can cause a sort of spiritual dysphoria in which He is both our comforter and the orchestrator of our distress. The implications are trust and faith-shattering, especially when applied to the worst of life's pain—the molestation of a child, the murder of innocence, widespread famine and deadly tsunamis, even a pandemic that reaches across the globe and changes life as we know it. If we don't measure the meaning of our God words, we may unintentionally communicate to young people with young faith that God willed all atrocities into existence so that He can prove Himself to be God. Expecting those who are suffering to turn to that God for solace may be asking too much, even if the suffering have been raised in the complicated, Jesus-centered world of ministry, where faith can be as much a job or an obligation as a relationship. 
I didn't remind Judy about Elijah's story when she told me that God had inflicted cancer on me, that he'd pointed at me and said, Michelle Phoenix, she's the one I want to see lying awake at night, knowing that she might die a horrible death in the months ahead. She's the one I want to see retching from the anxiety of vague medical answers. She's the one I want to see waiting in the pre-op room to have her body altered in ways her mind still can't comprehend. Michelle, she's the one I pick for this battle, even though she's already suffered through so much. I didn't quote to Judy the six simple words in Elijah's account that have brought me such comfort over the past few years. Yet it is Prophet Elijah I go back to every time the enormity of what I've been through threatens my image of God as a loving and comforting father. Every time the evening news covers an atrocity I can scarce imagine. Every time someone I know endures a loss that threatens to destroy her. Elijah feared for his life when he fled to a cave on Mount Horeb. Then a storm of monumental proportions enveloped the mountain on which he'd found refuge. It's right there in 1 Kings 19. We're told that winds strong enough to break rocks in two raged around him, but God was not in the wind. The earth rocked and spasmed under his feet, but God was not in the quake. When a fire consumed the mountain, scorching it with its power and intensity, God was not in the fire. The Bible clearly states God was not in that storm. Well-intended Christians might have seen nature's bluster and declared to Elijah that God was the perpetrator of the wind, earthquake, and fire, that he was punishing him for fleeing or ordering him to praise him with a display of force and fury. Yet when God speaks to the prophet, it isn't in the raging storm. It's from directly at his side, in a whisper only Elijah can hear. He reveals himself intimately, lovingly, gently. People who are young in age and young in faith need us to acquaint them with this God. Through our words about Him, through our trust in Him, through our dependence on Him, through our love, through our embodiment of the healing and comforting traits of God. They need the litany of platitudes that make God their lyncher to be replaced by a fierce proclamation of God's heart for them. They need to know that though God may redeem the inevitable pain of humanness, By using it to empower his purposes, he grieves when his children suffer. It breaks his father heart. God is not in every storm. He does not routinely injure us to teach us to praise him. He does not indiscriminately slaughter us so our families learn to trust him. He does not callously afflict us with diseases and death so our waning lives can bring glory to his name. He does not rejoice in the injustice, barbarity, and cataclysms that destroy us, and he certainly doesn't cause them to happen out of some tyrannical, sadistic desire to hear us praise him from the dungeons of our pain. Yet we so often imply that he does. Imprecise God talk yields harmful theology. The truth I cling to when pain overwhelms me is this. God is in the business of redeeming our storms. 
He stands with us in them, just as he did with Elijah, comforting us, encouraging us, and loving us in quiet tones despite the chaos raging around us. Years ago, when my faith was so young that casual statements about God's purposed cruelty felt like gospel truth, I might have responded differently. But in 2018, when cancer threatened me again and stole so much from me, I could cling to the certainty that God was not my tormentor. I knew him well enough. I'd experienced his presence long enough that it was his demonstrated heart for me I could trust over the uncareful words of others. As well-meaning friends indicted his goodness in attempts to soothe my fears, I rejected their premise. He hadn't caused the storm, but he was in it with me, defying its attempts to dismantle my faith. These are the truths the young believers and even unbelievers we care for need to hear. This is the personal, so close, so loving, so wounded by our wounds God they need to encounter through our words, the God they need to see embodied in our faith. The God of Elijah is near, and he will triumph in the end. The God of holy wrath and immeasurable goodness who whispers comfort in our storms and loves us into peace, does not rejoice in our suffering. He aches with us. He groans with us. He scatters flecks of gold amid the debris of our loss. Thank you so much, friends, for taking the time to listen today. My prayer as I release this episode into the world is that it'll help us to reconnect with the God who holds us in our pain. And for those of us who have influence, that we'll begin to project that heart to those who suffer. Make sure you check the episode notes for a link to this article and other related articles on the same topic. You might also want to check out my website, michellephoenix.com, and my social media pages. Please don't hesitate to share this episode with anyone you think might need to hear it. And I always welcome comments. While you're on the podcast platforms, would you also consider a quick like or even a review? In the digital world we live in, these lend credibility to this kind of resource and I truly appreciate your help. As I wrap up this recording today, I want you to know that I celebrate the purple you are and the purple you love. Thank you for your time.